like many of you, I'm sure I like biographies, like to read biographies or uh, watch a dramatic biography on TV. And one thing I've noticed is they all follow the same basic story arc. You're going on a journey through that person's life. The author is taking you on the journey from their birth to their death. That's the story arc. With one notable exception, of course, that is Jesus. And if we look at the four Gospels as biographies, the authors are not taking us from his birth to his death. They take us past the death to the resurrection. And so Easter Sunday is 12 weeks from today, 13 Sundays, counting today. We're starting a new sermon series called The Journey. And we're going to use the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go on a journey with Christ through his life from his birth to his resurrection. So I want to sort of set the table this morning for our expectations in this sermon series. I'm going to start with his birth and Gabriel's announcement to Joseph about Jesus and one thing in particular that he said. And today's theme is glorious journey. It's a glorious journey. What what do we mean by that word glory? That gets bandied around and it's kind of a theological term. But I want us to see the glory in three ways today. First of all is as kingdom glory. Kingdom glory. When the angel Gabriel announced uh, the coming of Jesus to Joseph, who was going to be his human father, Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he said, the Lord will give him, that is Jesus, the throne of his father, David. Throne of his father, David. So Jesus came as the son of David, meaning the descendant of David. Old Testament King David, king of the nation of Israel. Son of David. Jesus, in his public ministry... At one point when he was talking with the Pharisees, his antagonists, he said to them, what do you think of the Messiah, the Christ? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees answered, the son of David. And of course they were right. That was the Jewish messianic expectation. So when we say messianic expectation, that word Messiah is an Old Testament Hebrew word, and it means, anybody know what it means? The word Messiah, literally, if you translated it, I heard it out there, the anointed one. The Messiah is the anointed one. If you come over to the New Testament, so you're not Hebrew, you're in Greek, the Greek equivalent of the word Messiah is Christ. It also means the anointed one. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he, the son of David? So this expectation of the Messiah as the son of David or a descendant of David was informed by the king David of the Old Testament. Israel's greatest, most prestigious king. There are 600 times in the Old Testament when David's name is mentioned. 60 times in the New Testament. There's more material by sheer volume given over to King David than any other character in the Old Testament. Almost in the entire Bible, except for Jesus. Next to Jesus, more material given over to David. David reigned during the height, the zenith of the United Kingdom of Israel. He brought them peace and prosperity and power. Now since that time, a thousand years later, by the time you get to Jesus, the son of David, not so much. The kingdom of Israel had begun to wane. It was in its last days, really. Because since the time of David and Solomon... The nation of Israel had been defeated and subjugated by just about every world power in in history in that region. 
They had been beaten by the Assyrians and deported. They had been conquered by the Babylonians and deported. They had been ruled by the Medes and the Persians. They had been ruled by the kingdom of Greece. And finally, by the time you get to Jesus' day, it was the Romans. And, and Israel was occupied territory. And they were subjugated by the Romans. So their glory days had passed them by. Glory days. Yeah, they pass you by. Well, they had been passed by. And they were looking for the return of the king, son of David, to restore the glory of that ancient kingdom. Do you remember after Jesus' resurrection in the book of Acts, before he ascended into heaven? Disciples didn't know what was about to happen. They didn't know Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. They just knew that Jesus had died and was now resurrected. And in Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, the disciples say to Jesus, they said, Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is it now that you're going to boot the Romans out of the Holy Land and we can set up our Jewish world empire? So that's what I mean by messianic expectation. And you, you remember we said last week that the majority of Israel, the Jews of that day, did not accept Jesus as their Messiah and did not successfully transition from the old to the new. And there's a reason for that. Now I want to show you a brief video clip here. It's very brief, so focus in on it right away. There's some instructions right off the bat. So follow the instructions on this video. Let's roll it. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. Okay, I'm going to ask for a show of hands now. If you're in church... So be honest. How many have seen that for the first time, if you saw it for the first time, or when you saw it for the first time, how many of you missed the gorilla? Okay. Thank you for being honest. And my hand is up too. I missed it the first time I watched it. And the sociologist says about 50% of the people miss, they miss it. And it's called an inattentive distraction. And the reason that you miss the gorilla, we miss the gorilla, is because we're focused on something else. We're looking at, we're expecting to see, and we see what we expect to see. 
And the reason that these Jews missed Jesus as their Messiah and they missed the kingdom is because they were looking for something totally different, a militaristic, physical kingdom. And that's not what Jesus brought. Now, Jesus is the son of David. He did restore the kingdom to its glory days. In fact, to a glory far surpassing any that the kingdom of Israel had ever had. To a spiritual peace and power and prosperity. The kingdom of God now knows no geopolitical boundaries. It's not bound by race or ethnicity or language. It is a universal kingdom. But it's a spiritual kingdom. The church is the kingdom of God today. We are in the kingdom right now. And this was the great theme of Jesus preaching. He came preaching the kingdom of God. If you're reading the one-year Bible right now in Matthew, you're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are the laws, the characteristics of kingdom men and women in the church. As we go through this journey, 13 weeks, life of Jesus in Luke, we want to take what we learn and apply it to and through and in and with the church, the kingdom of God. As the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important. Some are here this morning, our guests are looking for a church family. Good. You need to look for a church family. All of us need to belong not only to the church, but to a church where we work out the rule, the sovereignty of our King Jesus in our hearts with real life people, other people who are on the journey with us. So it is a glorious journey, kingdom glory, Jesus, son of David, also spiritual glory. Now, King David was not only the military, civil ruler and leader of the nation of Israel, David was also the spiritual leader of that nation. Now, that's not true of all national leaders today. Not all leaders today are necessarily the spiritual leaders of their nation. But it was certainly true of David. A man after God's own heart. The greatest worshiper that Israel had ever known. He authored most of the Psalms. You're familiar with the Psalms? These are prayers and poems and often put to music. Glorifying God, worshiping God, calling on the name of the Lord. David was involved in spiritual formation of his people, trying to lead his people spiritually. He was the shepherd of Israel. That speaks to his heart. The shepherd of Israel. Probably his most famous psalm is what? Psalm what? 23. 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But David, he was, he was trying to accomplish spiritual formation with his people from the outside in. From the outside in. Human being. That's all he could do. And besides that, he had his own hurts, habits, and hang-ups. <clears throat> so he could only go so far. 
reading the Old Testament, you read as they're trying to follow God in their character, <clears throat> it's often two steps forward and three steps back. They can't seem to make any real progress. That was a weakness of the Old Covenant and the Old Kingdom. Whereas it's not in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, we have a strength here where they had a weakness. Paul writes in Colossians 1.27, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. <clears throat> the word glory right here means character. It means character. The glory of Christ right here is His character. Christ lives in the Christian. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of Christ, also known as the what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ came and indwelt us. He dwells within us. And that's our hope of glory, meaning spiritual formation, character change. This is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit to the Christian today, is inner power to change our character into the character of Christ. His primary ministry is not revealing truth to our minds. That's why he inspired the Word of God. It's not to, to empower us to speak in tongues or work miracles. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is power for formation and transformation of our character into the glory of Christ, the character of Christ. Christ in you, the assurance, our hope of glory. Now, do you remember in the Old Testament when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai and he'd get, meet with God and spend time up there and get the law, and having been in the very presence of God, this is only said of Moses, that he saw God face to face, he would come down and his face, sorry, his face was what? Glowing, glowing. Same when he went into the tabernacle, which means the tent where God was present. He would go into the very presence of God, and when he came out of the tabernacle, the Bible says, having been in the presence of God's glory, this magnificent light and power of God, his face was glowing. I think of it like those phosphorescent stickers that you, you maybe you put on the ceiling of, in your kid's bedroom or on their walls, and you turn out the lights, and they glow. Or maybe you have them on your ceiling. I don't know, but the stickers, they have what's called phosphors in them, and that they absorb energy and light. And so when the lights go out, they glow. But what's, what's happening to the glow of those stickers? fading. It gradually fades and fades. And likewise with Moses. When he came from the presence of God, he was literally glowing, but the glow was fading. And there was something about that that bothered Moses. He was embarrassed by it, the fact that it was fading away. I'm not sure why. Maybe people teased him about it. Not so glowy today, are you, Moses? Not as glowy as you were yesterday, are you, Moses? I don't know. But the Bible says that he was self-conscious of it. 2 Corinthians 3.13 His face was shining, but he covered it to keep the people of Israel from seeing the brightness fade away. He put a veil over his face. I tried to find a veil to illustrate this, and I couldn't. The best I could do. So it would be like if I was Moses, I'd get up and preach every, you know, and I'd have a mask or a veil over my face so you couldn't see how the glory was fading away. You say, put it back, Steve. That looked a whole lot better. Yeah, I know. But 
he was working from the outside in. And we're Christians. And the Spirit of Christ, Christ's Spirit, is working on us for character transformation from the inside out. That's a whole different story. This glory, the character of Christ, when the Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us, it doesn't fade. It flares. It actually grows stronger and stronger. And Paul makes this contrast as he continues in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, all of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord. Remember I said, I want to set the expectation for this sermon series. As we take this journey together through the life of Christ, we are looking with unveiled faces at the glory, the character of the Lord Jesus. We're doing that today as we reflect on Jesus as the son of David. Next week I'll be talking about Jesus and the temptations, a tempting journey. And we'll see how Jesus handled those temptations. As we look at his glory in this journey, Paul says, we are being transformed as we do this. Here's the catalyst. As we do this, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Moses' glory was fading. Our glory it's not an ever-decreasing glory. It's an ever-increasing glory. Increasing glory. It doesn't fade. It grows. This is the strength that we have, the strength of the new covenant that they did not have, the Jews did not have. It may be the most significant difference between the covenant we live under now and the covenant that they lived under is Christ lives in us, transforming our character from glory to glory, ever-increasing glory. It's like a catalytic, I call it a catalytic converter. A, catal a catalyst facilitates a chemical reaction and conversion to the image of Christ. In, in our cars, you have an internal combustion engine. What an amazing invention that is. It's a controlled explosion within the engine that powers the pistons, moves the wheels, so the car can go forward, but it requires an energy source. So there's gasoline in there, but after you go three or 400 miles, you got to pull over and to the pump, spend three minutes putting more gasoline. Or if you have a Tesla, you pull over to a charging station and spend three hours and plug it in and recharge it because it consumes the fuel. But it's God who lives in us, and he is not consumed. He is self-sustaining. Think of the, the bush that Moses saw in the, in the desert, the bush that burned, which is no big deal, but the difference with this bush was that it burned, but it was not consumed by the fire because it was God in the bush, and he, does not, he is not consumed. He does not decrease. He does not get used up. He is self-sustaining. That's what's inside of us. God is inside of us, producing change ever-increasing glory, spiritual glory. One final thing, one final thing, everlasting glory. So Gabriel continues, he says, his father will give him the throne of the son of David, and then he says, and his kingdom will have no end, no end. Everlasting glory, eternal glory. I hope you got everything you wanted for Christmas, or I hope you gave everything you wanted to for Christmas. But I read an article just a couple of weeks ago, it said, 20% of the gifts that people 
receive at Christmas wind up in the landfill for one reason or another. I think that's a low percentage, don't you? I think it's got to be more like 80%, and eventually, eventually, it's 80 or 90% of everything we ever get winds up in the landfill. It all burns. It doesn't last. Now, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or if it all goes away when you die, so what if you had prosperity, you had a great family, maybe, right? you had fame, fortune, power, influence, so what? What good is that if it all goes away? Answer, no good at all. And David knew this. In the Old Testament, David wrote, Psalm 16, No wonder my heart is glad, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. David knew. He had joy because he knew that God was not going to let him rot away in a grave. However, the Apostle Peter quoted that verse right there from Psalms, what David had said, in the very first gospel sermon. So this would have been on the day of Pentecost. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. This is about 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, 10 days after his ascension into heaven. So Peter is preaching to thousands of Jews. He quotes that verse, you will not allow me to rot in the grave. And Peter told the Jews there, he says, now, David wasn't really talking about himself. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 2. He says, but David was a prophet. He knew that God had promised with an oath that one of his descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. So let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Hey, I was reading an article just a couple of weeks ago about the Port Charlotte High School football team. It says Port Charlotte High School. It's over there on the West Coast. And uh, a man named Jace Norris, Jace Norris, had gone to that school, had played football for them, went to college, and then he came back and he joined the faculty and the staff and he was assistant coach. And so about five years ago, he got serious about his spiritual life and he began attending New Day Christian Church there where Rusty Russell is the preacher and he wound up being baptized in the Gulf of Mexico about five years ago. Very influential. Of course, he, he let his Christian witness shine. Last February, February last year, he married his high school sweetheart, uh, and 27 years old, but this past July, he died unexpectedly in his sleep. Of course, that shook up the school, it shook up the community, and a lot of these high school students, especially on the football team, they were deeply affected, and they began to think about their mortality. Now, usually high school students don't think a lot about their mortality, but this shook them up. And they began asking questions. Now, Rusty was the chaplain for the team. They began asking questions about life after death and death and heaven and hell and Jesus and hope. And he answered their questions. And after a while, 14 members of that high school team and one of the coaches were all baptized in the Gulf of Mexico right there where Jace had been baptized. Now that is letting one's influence count for an everlasting purpose, an eternal influence. Peter the Apostle, when he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, when he said that, his Jewish audience said, they were cut to the heart and they said, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent 
And let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promises for you and your children. For all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God, will call into himself. And 3,000 were baptized that day, were added to the kingdom of God, and they began to rejoice because God is not going to let them rot in the grave. He's going to raise them. And now they are looking forward to what? The glory of God. After death, in the new heavens and the new earth, being in the very presence of the glory of God, an eternal, everlasting glory that will never go away. We want to give our hearts, our lives, our energies, our fortunes to the things that will last, not the things that wind up on the, on the dump heap, in the landfill. And the things that last are these, the kingdom of God, the church. Everything we do to, through, for, with the church lasts. This change that is happening in us, that God is transforming us into the glory of Christ, that's going to last. And heaven and the very presence and the glory of God are going to last forever. As John recorded in Revelation chapter 12, and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and 